Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg, live from Blacksburg. I am joined via the magical powers of Zoom by my two good friends. First, all the way from the 757, we have the one, the only, Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's good, man? Trying to figure out how to do a background on Zoom. I don't use Zoom because I don't work from home. And I want to put up a cool background, and I don't know how to do this shit. So, Mike, I need some help, man. Help me out. Go to uh, account settings in the. Uh, I, ain't, I ain't got time for that. Yeah, I'm. T- I'm just telling. I'm just telling you. I'll put. I don't up even cool know where Vegas account background. settings is, man. Yeah, I'm telling you. That's where you go. That's where you go. Whatever. <laughs> and the other guy that you hear live from Nova, Mike McDaniel. What's good, man? What's up, man? What's going on? Not much. Not much. Not much. But the Hokies are sitting at two and zero. They traveled down to Durham, North Carolina, on Saturday to face the zero and three Duke Blue Devils. The Blue Devils left zero and four, a thirty-eight to thirty-one victory for Virginia Tech, led by Khalil Herbert, twenty carries for two hundred and eight yards and two touchdowns. He goes on to set a record for total yards in a game by a Virginia Tech player. Guys, I talked to a guy on my radio program today who has been covering the NFL at a national level. He's all queued in with people in every organization in the scouting departments, what have you. They're already comparing Khalil Herbert to Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the first running back picked in the 2020 draft what do you guys got to say about this guy? He's a goon, man. <laughs> he's he's a goon. Um, I haven't seen a tech running back run with that kind of authority and that kind of explosiveness and vision in quite a while. Um, we certainly haven't seen a running back this productive since Trayvon McMillan in 2015, but I would go further than that, and this is probably – um, I, I actually, it, it seems like it's quite common of a comparison now for Tech fans. David Wilson was obviously one of the best players to ever put on a Tech uniform, and what we've seen out of Khalil Herbert through these first two games is is in that that kind of range. I think he's probably more like a Ryan Willis type, or excuse me, Ryan Williams type guy, um, just in his running style. But the way that he is turning negative plays into positive plays getting extra yardage, busting off big runs in the clutch. I mean, both of his touchdowns were in the fourth quarter in this game. Um, it's it's thoroughly impressive. And I know that they haven't played a really good defense yet through these first two games, so we have to take that for what it's worth. But for all intents and purposes, Khalil Herbert is one of the best backs in the ACC. And behind Travis Etienne, he might be number two. Yeah, I'm just pulling up uh... – 12 yards per carry right now. I mean, the efficiency that he's running with is what strikes me, right? He's only carried the ball 26 times through two games, 312 total yards, 12 yards per carry, three scores on the ground. He seems to get stronger as the game wears on, which is what you want to see out of all great running backs, right? And Herbert seems to possess that. Um, that was especially the case uh, in the game this past weekend against Duke. He's just real efficient, man, and, like, real explosive. Ricky, I think that David Wilson comparison is right on the money from the standpoint of turning negative plays into positive plays. And, you know, Doug Nestor actually talked th- talked about this today uh, with the media. He said that the thing that makes Khalil Herbert great, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the thing that makes Khalil Herbert great is the fact that offensive linemen can not block a play perfectly, 
right? And they might miss an assignment here or there. And Herbert still finds a way to pick up positive yards when the offensive line is imperfect. All we've talked about through the first couple of weeks of the year is how good this Virginia Tech offensive line has been, right? And for them to say that, look, we can be imperfect and Khalil Herbert still can find a way to get positive yards, that's a measure of a great running back, in my opinion. Um, I, I was expecting him to be pretty good. He was good at Kansas behind a really bad offensive line. I was expecting him to take a step forward behind a better offensive line at Virginia Tech. But what he's done through the first two games is astounding to me. And Ricky, like you said, it's hard to pit anybody else ahead of him other than Travis Etienne in the ACC, at least through the first couple of games that we've seen out of him at Virginia Tech. And as he continues to run behind this offensive line, I'm, I'm curious to see what he can do down the line against better competition. And I think that's, I, you know, I don't expect him to average 12 yards per carry all season, but I do expect him obviously to be a very productive back for Virginia Tech. And he was really important in this game against Duke, which I, I know we'll get into here. But, you know, without Khalil Herbert in this football game, Virginia Tech doesn't beat Duke on Saturday. I mean, he was that impactful. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, third quarter return alone was such a necessary play given how the defense looked like it was starting to falter a bit there. And then Khalil Herbert just rips one off for 83 yards and almost scored. Um, that, that play alone is, is worth its weight in gold. Now, I mean, I'm just thinking about Khalil Herbert coming here from Kansas and props to Justin Fuente and his staff, right? Because you find guys in Khalil Herbert and Raheem Blackshear who play at lower tier schools where your competition is almost always going to be better than your teammates. He looks at them and says, you're eligible to graduate. Your position is our weakness and what you need, a strong offensive line and a system that emphasizes you is our strength. You put those two together and have a guy in Khalil Herbert who maybe wasn't at the top of everyone's radar, who isn't a 24-7 scout looking at who's eligible to transfer. But now two weeks in, and I know it's just two weeks in for Virginia Tech, but Vegas is giving him Heisman odds. Like that's where we're at. And I don't think there, there's been an individual player who I've been more excited for so quickly in their career since Gerard Evans. I, I mean, I, I can't think of a, a player who has popped on the scene for Virginia Tech like that since Gerard. I mean, it was kind of it was kind of that way back in like the the early 2010s, late 2000s with Darren Evans, uh, Ryan Williams, David Wilson. When all when when those guys came in, boom, 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 right after one of the other all three of those guys popped off immediately as soon as they got on the field. And we're kind of seeing the same thing with Herbert here. I mean, he's, he's got over 500 yards total between rushing, receiving and kick returns. It's a joke. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, he's, he's putting up video game numbers and I'm not expecting him to continue to put up video game numbers for the rest of the season, but the tech doesn't need him to do that. Um, they need him to continue to be a reliable option out of the backfield. They need him to continue to be explosive and be productive. Um, but he's exceeded all expectations to the first two games for sure. Uh, and given how well the offensive line has played, it's hard to believe that he's all of a sudden going to struggle uh, as the season goes on. Cause he certainly looks like the real deal. Well, and the one thing that was interesting to me too, is like, you know, there, there were questions asked today in the press conference by the media, and I was kind of anticipating this, but there were some questions about, you know, is this workload too much for you um, because of how productive he's been through two games? But then you look at the stats, right? He's only got two catches on the season, so it's not like that's where he's getting his other touches. He's only carried the ball 26 times, so he's averaging 13 carries a game through two games. It's the kick returns, right? It's kick returns and as a, and a, as a, the primary rusher where he's making most of his hay. It's not like he's being overused at this point, right? Like 13 rushes per game plus a handful of kick returns isn't that big of a deal. And Ricky, to your point, there he is. I don't Who's anticipate. I don't. An Who is that? Is that Mike. Mikey McD? Oh my God. Mikey oh God. McD, what's good, oh gentlemen? God. How's it going? <laughs> what's up, We Chase? have a drunk Chase Muma. How are we? <laughs> We're recording the podcast. Oh, right I'm sorry, gentlemen. I'll go to the <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, sorry, everyone. We're going to have to restart that. This podcast was just bombed by former Virginia Tech fourth-string quarterback Chase Muma, who holds the highest passer rating in Virginia Tech history. Chase! One pass. He's one for one for like 30 yards on a fake punt in the 2017 Camping World Bowl. (laughs) He's staying with me, and he had a little to drink, so he decided to come in. We're not going to play the entire audio, but um, back to what you were saying, man. (laughs) Basically, what I was saying... Shout out Chase. Basically what I was saying before uh, Chase came chiming in was that uh, Khalil Herbert, to Ricky's point, I don't think he's in a situation with this offense, especially as Raheem Blackshear continues to get more comfortable, where he's going to get overworked. Like he only has 13 carries through two games. And outside of that, most of his usage has come as a punt or as a uh, kick returner. Um, that's been most of his production. Obviously, he has 358 all-purpose yards, setting the school record this past Saturday against Duke. 150 of those were on kick return. Of course, the other 200-plus uh, being on the ground. So it's not a situation where he's being totally overworked, where he's touching the ball 30 or 40 times a game. We're not in that situation now with Khalil Herbert. And I think that as the passing game comes around and you get more receivers involved and that becomes a bigger part of the offense moving forward. I think you're going to be able to continue to, you know, keep Khalil Herbert fresh to the point where we're not getting to game seven or eight of the season down the home stretch in late November, early December. And Khalil Herbert's just absolutely gassed. I think this offense has other ways to move the football outside of Khalil Herbert, but he's been so good here early on in the season. He's a big reason why Tech's two and out. So as far as Blackshear and the other running backs go, does Khalil Herbert's success as that primary back make you think differently about how this time is going to be split and maybe what roles these guys are going to be used in? Um, yes. I'm not expecting Virginia Tech to go running back by committee anytime soon, and nor should they. Khalil Herbert needs to get a majority of the carries uh, at running back, um, and there's really no argument otherwise. I, I do think that Raheem Blackshear needs to also continue to get carries. Um, he has shown that he can be productive as well, uh, even though he hasn't really popped off and had a great game just yet. But he he's not the kind of guy that you want to be the workhorse anyway. So with Herbert and Blackshear basically getting most of, if not all, the carries at running back, I think Virginia Tech has a good one-two combination there. And, and if you combine that with a quarterback who can run the football, which – all three of Tech's options at quarterback can. Virginia Tech has a a diversified, balanced rushing game, uh, whether it be up the tackles, outside zones, jet sweeps, whatever. Tech has different ways that they can run the football rather than just a traditional handoff. And that's encouraging given that Virginia Tech's offensive line is so good and they need to take advantage of that. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I I just don't think – yeah, I, I don't think he'll be running back by committee. I, I think Khalil Herbert will obviously get most of the carries. Um, actually, Raheem Blackshear, I'm, I'm looking at the stats right now. Like, he has not been nearly as productive as Khalil Herbert or efficient on the runs. But like you mentioned, Ricky, like there's there's signs that Blackshear can break out. I mean, he he's, has the athleticism. He's, he's been good. Flashed. He's flashed. He's flashed. He's flash well, for sure. We we have to remember like what football shape is too. Raheem, uh, Raheem Blackshear only got out of quarantine Thursday before the NC State game. That's after a couple of weeks taken off in quarantine. And it's hard to just step back on the football field and get back in that kind of football shape. That takes time. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Blackshear break out at any time now. But let's look at the quarterback play. Braxton Burmeister, 9 for 25 through the air, 163 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He adds 54 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Let's be honest, boys. He was very inefficient at times. How do you assess his performance overall? I thought running the football, he was good. I thought throwing the football out. And Ricky, I'll I'll let you kind of dive into this in a bit more detail just because you wrote a really good article on it. Um, and, and you're going to just be able to talk about it a lot better than I am um, just because you put it into words already. Um, <laughs> he, he threw, he threw like four really, really high level passes in this football game. And outside of that, he was extremely inefficient running the football though. He was really good. And there's never been a question about Braxton Burmeister's athletic ability or whether or not he could run, et cetera. He made some big time plays with his legs in the second half to keep drives going. 
um, to spell Khalil Herbert to a degree, which helped Virginia Tech's offense a lot. He made plays with his legs in the second half that he didn't necessarily make in the first half, and he made some throws in the second half they didn't necessarily make in the first half either. But the passing game needs to be a lot better. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, and look, there's a lot of questions about Hendon Hooker's health, et cetera. And, you know, Justin Fuente had said before the Duke game that, yeah, Hooker, you know, he's back and practicing, et cetera. And then he says after the game in his post game press availability that, oh, yeah, he was good. But this week was the first time we've heard him actually publicly say, um, yeah, he's like good to go. We hadn't really heard that out of Justin Fuente. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens, and we'll come back and preview North Carolina later this week. But I'm, I'm curious to see if Hendon Hooker is actually good to go because I refuse to believe that Justin Fuente would not have put him on the field if he was truly ready last week against Duke. I think there's still some practice time that he needed, um, and maybe that's the practice time he's getting this week. But look, with Burmeister's inability to throw the football – at a high level in this football game against Duke, if Hendon Hooker was healthy, he would have been out there, I think, because there was nothing that Braxton Burmeister did from a rushing standpoint in this game that was so special that Hendon Hooker couldn't have done the same thing, in my opinion. No, I think one thing to factor in is he made really good decisions, not just running the ball like, physically carrying the ball, but he made good decisions in the run game with the RPOs, with the, you know, the quick decisions that you have to make as a quarterback in this Virginia Tech offense. And I think that you can give some credit to Braxton Burmeister. Obviously, you've got to give a lot of credit to the offensive line as well for the overall success that Khalil Herbert and others had running the ball. Yeah, that's fair. Um, And I actually had a discussion about this on Twitter with a follower earlier today, but I'm not going to give Burmeister credit for that simply because the other two quarterbacks on the roster can do that. Um, Quincy has shown that he can run the read option well. Hooker has shown that he can run the read option well. So I'm not going to make the case that Burmeister needs to hold on to his job because he can run the read option well. And to, to kind of go back to where Mike started, yeah, Burmeister had four good throws in this game. He had a, a fade ball to Tavion Robinson that was right on the money. Immediately afterwards, he he fits one over the middle to James Mitchell for a touchdown. Those back-to-back throws, I was like, oh, man, he is going to prove me wrong because those were two absolute dimes. And then we saw a ton of inefficient throws, a ton of, of inefficient quarterbacking. And then he throws a 56-yard bomb to Tavion Robinson where he just absolutely put it in the breadbasket. And you're just wondering where, where this has been. And then he doesn't have another good throw into the fourth where he puts one on the money to Trey Turner that gets tech in the red zone. But he, he's really frustrating to watch because you see him make bad decisions where he um, tries to, to throw a ball when he's being chased and he shouldn't do it. And then it basically gets dropped for the interception. He completely air mails a check down pass that gets picked off Um he has a ton of errant throws. He just did not look comfortable as, as a passer. And that's, that's discouraging. And it goes back to something I've been extremely vocal about since the game is that I I don't see why Quincy Patterson wasn't put into this game. Quincy has shown time and time again, that he can step up when he's called upon, but especially off the bench, he offers almost everything that Braxton Burmeister can offer. The only thing he doesn't is the top end speed because that's something that Burmeister has on probably both Patterson and Hooker. But as inefficient as Burmeister was at quarterback, I, I'm frankly shocked that we didn't see Quincy Patterson get a chance to play in this game. And um, if if Hendon Hooker wasn't available to play and ready to go, then he shouldn't have been dressed. They should have kept him in street clothes. I don't know if that's some gamesmanship by them to try and make Duke have to prepare for Hendon Hooker, and that's certainly possible because we've seen Fuente do that kind of stuff before, uh, especially with the quarterbacks. But w- w- for all the guys that Tech was missing in the secondary, we have to remember that Duke was missing their, their top two corners as well. And Burmeister still struggled throwing the football. So 
I was extremely disappointed with the way Burmeister played. I don't think he needs to be the starter moving forward. I think he should have been benched in that game. And I think, frankly, Tech has two better options at quarterback. I mean, I do agree with you that Hendon Hooker should be the starter if he is ready and if he is available. But at the same time, like, the chemistry issues that come from this COVID thing are far reaching. Braxton Burmeister, who was, like you said, despite the fact that in regular training camp last year, when they were anticipating him possibly being eligible, he did act as that backup quarterback or he was in the mix to be the backup quarterback. He ran scout team all of last year. You get no spring practice short in camp. And then he's out two weeks with COVID because we, we know he was in quarantine previously. He just got out before the other guys, which is why he got the knot. Right. But Given that circumstance, timing and chemistry in passing is everything. And I think sometimes you saw Burmeister struggle in that regard with the timing, with the chemistry. We saw what he had, and he had it. And again, I wouldn't be advocating for him to start, but I wouldn't use this game as a a large-scale judgment on what his potential is because I, I truly do think he is better than that. I think we saw flashes of how he could be. I mean, the errant throws were discouraging, and I won't lie. There were times where I was saying, and you know, the announcers on ACC Network were saying, it's starting to get time to think about the other option that they have a quarterback in Quincy Patterson right now. But I, I wouldn't use this as too widespread of a judgment of uh, Braxton Burmeister's ability. I think he's better than what he showed in this game, but I don't think – Given what we've seen through two games, I don't think that Braxton has proven that he's as good as, as Hendon Hooker, which was kind of the narrative coming out of the program uh, before the season started. And frankly, I don't think he's proven that he's better than Quincy Patterson. Well, I mean, we can't forget that last year, Quincy Patterson had a 40% completion percentage overall. You can't take and, and a four out of six performance when they're playing single deep zone and say, oh, he went four for six when they were up by 17. But he did like, throw two beautiful touchdowns in, in, in the NC State game. I mean, Braxton Burmeister threw good balls as well. Every time they got in the red zone, they ran it in from the 20. But that's my point is that if you're going to say that this guy is worthy of starting or playing alongside Hendon Hooker when Hendon Hooker's healthy, and then Quincy Patterson plays at roughly the same rate, then what is the justification for giving Braxton the entire game when he's – playing poorly well, at least as a passer and, and and you don't try and spark the offense with Quincy Patterson especially with the reliance on the run game well let me let me jump in here real quick the, the thing that everybody was talking about before the season was that Braxton Burmeister and Justin Fuente is still talking about this right that Braxton Burmeister and Hendon Hooker do a lot of the same things is what he's been saying and that Quincy Patterson is a different kind of change of pace quarterback but from my standpoint, watching the first two games and watching Braxton Burmeister and this up and down trajectory throwing the football, in my opinion, it seems like he's a lot closer to Quincy Patterson than he is to Hendon Hooker from a pure stylistic standpoint as a quarterback. I get that Burmeister is more shifty as a runner and, and Quincy's just going to run straight through you. I get that, right? Quincy's a huge quarterback. Burmeister, athletically speaking, and just like in stature and that sort of thing is a lot closer to Hooker than he is to Quincy Patterson. I get that. But as far as like talent from a, from a passing standpoint, in my opinion, he seems a lot closer at this point from what I've seen through two games, because that's all I can judge it on. I haven't seen practice. I, I look, I didn't see what he was doing at Oregon outside of like the, the two games he played in. Like this is all I've seen out of Burmeister. And from what I've seen, it seems like throwing the football, he's a lot closer to Quincy Patterson than he is to Hendon Hooker. Maybe that changes, you know, maybe he plays in this North Carolina game as a starter and goes 17 to 20 for 300 yards. I'm singing a different tune next week, but I, to this point, from a passing standpoint, it just seems like he's much closer to Patterson than he is to Hooker. I, and I would agree with that. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm relying and trusting the judgment of the coaches and what I've heard from inside of practice too much. And, and that's kind of where I'm at. But it, in the first game, Braxton Burmeister, I mean, Quincy Patterson played well. So did Braxton Burmeister in that first yeah. game. Yeah, Burmeister was, was seven, seven of 11. For seven for 11. Yeah. yeah, yep, exactly. Yep. And I, I just think that yeah, maybe in terms of passing the football, Hendon Hooker is a far more efficient passer than Braxton Burmeister. But 
I think that though you say stylistically they're close, I think you can run much closer to the Hendon Hooker playbook that you plan on running throughout the year if all goes well with Braxton Burmeister than you can with Quincy Patterson. And I mean, and again, I point to the decisions that you make in the run game and those RPOs, knowing when to hand the ball off, stuff like that. With Braxton Burmeister, you can't say that wasn't working. The run game was going. Your starting running back had 200 total yards. And that's that you can't give all the credit to Braxton Burmeister. I mean, obviously, the lion's share of that is going to go to Khalil Herbert and the offensive line. But at the end of the day, the decisions that he were making, he was the decisions that he was making paid dividends in the end, and they won the football game. They, they won this game, but they did not win it because of Braxton Burmeister. They won it in spite of him. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say he played a great game, but he played well enough to win. So at the end of the day, I can't question Justin Fuente's decision. I, I mean, I, I'm going to question it. But I mean, because <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm not going to give him a pass just because they won the football game. He should have had another turnover that wasn't caught. He looked really bad on a ton of throws. I'm I, I'm not going to give him credit for playing well enough to win when the team won in spite of him. The team won because the offensive line played exceptionally well, and they won because Khalil Herbert took over this game in the second half. Look, the one thing I'll say is when you're down like a billion guys in the secondary by any means possible, but in this in the context of this conversation – they need to get more out of the passing game. There's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah, and, behind center. And we can all hope that Hendon Hooker is going to play this week. You know, I'm not asking for more of Braxton Burmeister. I'm just, just, I'm trying to justify Fuente's decision to not bench him, even though at the time I, I was sort of on the fence. Can we all agree that, that Hendon should be the starter if he's healthy and ready yes. to go? Oh, yes. Yes. Agree. Okay. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm, I'm behind that hundred percent. Yep. Okay, I, I think we're all on the same page there. We're, we're, we're nitpicking over the details. But I want to talk about that defense, right? Because, you know, to Ricky's point, what we were saying before, the offense got off to a slow start. And then you have the muff punt on special teams that leads to seven points for Duke. And suddenly you start off the game playing from behind. You leave the first half with a 10 to seven lead. But there were a lot of three and outs. There were turnovers. But at the end of the day, this defense down their defensive coordinator, their fill-in defensive coordinator from the week before, and everyone in their secondary managed to hold on and keep the game competitive while the offensive line and running game was able to tire out Duke on the defensive side and ultimately break into what they were trying to do and win the football game. Let's start with this pass rush. Emmanuel Belmar, I mean, he looked fantastic. And Justice Reed, again, continues to be as advertised with what we heard about him as a transfer coming into tech. Do you think this pass rush is for real? Do you think this is a pass rush that we can rely on going forward against teams like North Carolina, Miami, so on and so forth? I think they can be reliable. I don't know if they'll put they'll continue to put up the sack numbers that they've done thus far, but I think that they're going to continue to be good. The one thing that does worry me about this defensive line, and, and we can heap some of this on the linebackers too, is that Duke ran the ball pretty efficiently in this game. And there were multiple times in this game where Virginia Tech's front seven looked like they couldn't they couldn't stop me running the football. Um, I don't know what caused that. I know that Duke's running backs are halfway decent. Mateo Durant and Deion Jackson are both kind of shifty guys, and, and Tech's pretty familiar with Durant given that they recruited him pretty heavily for a while, but um, I, I was impressed with the pass rush. They're going to have to continue to be that way, especially if the back end of this defense is going to be down more players for another week or two. You would hope that most of those guys, or at least some of them would be back for this game because it's been kind of two weeks now since they haven't played. And you would think that that period would be over, but they're going to need Emmanuel Belmar and justice Reed to continue to put pressure off the edge and, uh, Jared Hewitt also played pretty well in this game. So Bill Tierlink and Daryl Tapp have definitely turned this thing up a notch. And um, for someone like me who was kind of critical of them firing Charlie Wiles or, or just not renewing his contract, um, I'm, I'm going to admit I was wrong through two games and, and give a ton of credit to Tierlink and Tapp for how they have changed this defensive line and turned them into a productive unit, which – they really haven't been for at least a couple seasons now. Mike, how does 
the offensive lines that we've seen so far with NC State and Duke that Tech has had success against, it, are they good enough to say this is a fair judgment? We can expect to see this going forward? Uh, no, I mean, no, not really. But but the thing about um, these offenses, right, and, and especially it's, this is especially the case with NC State where I thought Virginia Tech played better defensively. NC State's offense is better than Duke's. Um, and, Price is bad. Chase Bryce is bad. And like <laughs> he played a little bit better against Virginia Tech, but the whole thing here is like the Hokies were, you know, I, I tweeted that you, me and Dupree are lining up on defense in the secondary for Virginia Tech. It really does feel that way. You know, you have Tyler Matheny, a, a red shirt, sophomore walk on starting at safety. Like Virginia Tech is never in a position where they have to, where they have to have a walk on starting at a position they have in the past chosen to start a walk on, but this was out of necessity. This wasn't a position, a position of need where Tyler Matheny was like the best player that tech had. And that's why he was starting that. That wasn't the case. Now I don't want to slander Tyler Matheny on this podcast. He was outstanding. He had seven tackles. He had the interception third on the team in tackles in the game. He was really good, but Virginia tech was in a really precarious situation in the defensive backfield. And that's why chase Bryce had a better game than he had in the first three games that he had for Duke this year. Um, but getting back to the defensive line, it's hard not to be impressed with what they're doing. Right. And you saw Amari Barno get some action. He played well. Um, you know, you guys mentioned Belmar had a huge game. Justice Reed continues to be really good. Norrell Pollard has, has come on as well. Like he had a pretty decent first game of the year, but he was really good in this game against Duke. We haven't even seen Deshaun Crawford yet. Um, I, I think once he gets in there, he's going to be a difference maker. So, and then you mentioned Jared Hewitt and he's been kind of the mainstay on the defensive line for Virginia tech and he continues to get better. Well, so, and, and the, the, the thing about Hewitt is that he's been largely unproductive for his entire career. Right. And, right. and he, he has not produced. And so far this season, he has completely done a 180 and he's all of a sudden kind of disruptive at defensive tackle. He is. And I think like you mentioned, Ricky and, and Andrew, you mentioned this too. It's a credit to tier Lincoln tap. It really is. Um, and the, what they've been able to bring from an energy standpoint and from a coaching standpoint to the defensive line is huge. And Charlie Wiles was a very good defensive line coach at Virginia tech for a long time, but it's almost like, the Hokies needed a boost on that side of the ball, right? They needed something to get that defensive front energized. And it seems like whatever it was that tier Lincoln tap are bringing to the table. Now that Charlie Wiles wasn't, it's making a difference in production, at least in the early part of the schedule. Now as Virginia tech goes on and plays tougher competition on the offensive line um, moving forward, we'll see how we feel about this defensive line over the course of the season. But through two games, this unit is much better than I expected it to be. Much better. And I think that one thing that we can kind of look forward to, in a sense, is I don't think we've gotten the best out of this linebacking group so far. I, you know, I talked about football shape before. I talked about the practice time. I talked about continuity. And it seems through two games, given the way that North Carolina State and now Duke were able to run the ball, I don't think we've seen the best out of Dax Hollyfield, Alan Tisdale, and, and Rayshard Ashby, especially Rayshard Ashby. I think that we saw him at a higher level last year and that going forward with a couple of games under their belt, with a couple more weeks of practice now under their belt, we'll get back to that Rayshard Ashby that we saw and perhaps even beyond. And that's something that Virginia Tech's going to need next week against NC or not NC State against North Carolina, who has been much more efficient running the ball than most pundits expected that they would be going into the year. It's not necessarily completely the Sam Howell show down there in Chapel Hill. Yeah, Michael Carter is a problem. Um, their offensive line isn't bad either, but Michael Carter's an issue. And given how Duke ran the football. In this game, again, Mateo Duran averaged over seven yards a carry. Deion Jackson averaged over four yards a carry and had two touchdowns. Um, the Virginia Tech front seven is going to have to be better. I mean, Rayshard Ashby had 10 tackles and a tackle for loss, but he's going to have to be more productive. I think Alan Tisdale really needs to come back because, frankly, he's better than Dax Hollyfield. Um, but th the front seven here really needs to get going. Because uh, they're the, the schedule is going to get tougher from here on out. Two of their two of their weakest opponents are off the schedule now with NC State and Duke. It's not going to get much easier than, than the first two games. 
I mean, defensively, at the end of the day, we can nitpick, we can say what we liked and say what we didn't like, but given the circumstances, the fact yeah. that they were able to hang on is really all you can ask for. I mean, I mean Jack Tyler's calling plays. The guy who was calling plays last week wasn't wasn't there. Justin Hamilton's doing Zoom meetings for for game prep. I mean, it, it's it, it's a mess over there on the defensive side of the ball. And yeah, I mean, it, it, I think we can be critical of them, but like you said, Andrew, we do we do have to acknowledge that this this defense in particular is missing a ton of players, especially on the back end. And and for the for those guys' credit, like Dorian Strong and all those guys, I thought they weren't bad. I mean, they they had they had some times in the game where they looked like they were getting picked on, but for the most part, Chase Bryce didn't have a ton of guys running open downfield. And I don't know if that's because Chase Bryce is just bad and can't anticipate throws or if Tech's defense actually held their own. It's probably a bit of both. But I think you should, we, do, we do have to give credit to all of those second and, and third string defensive backs for how they played in this game because they didn't really get torched. Yeah, and, and real quick, shout-out Keontae Jenkins, too. He's had to grow up quick, true freshman, starting in the NC State game. A big question going into that was what was, you know, how good was he going to be? And he was really good in the opener, and he was basically the only healthy defensive back that started from the week before in this game against Duke, and I thought he played well again. So now he's batting two for two as a true freshman in the back end of the secondary. So I think he's been – one of those guys in the defensive backfield. I mean, number one, because he stayed healthy, but number two, like he's been really productive in two games for tech as a freshman. He has a chance to be really good guys. I mean, and, and the coaches were raving yeah, about I him mean, for a while and he's got a chance to be outstanding. I think it takes a mentally tough kid to go from a week one game where you're filling in, in a position that you might not have anticipated being in as a true freshman first game. And we're talking about how can we protect you defensively to one week later, you're like the most experienced guy out there on the field, <laughs> like at least in that secondary. Right. Very impressive work by Jenkins. And you got to give the shout out to Matheny, getting the pick, getting that tackle for loss. A guy who no scholarship offers out of high school, unranked recruit, walks on to tech, red shirt, appears in one game last year, Suddenly you're starting at safety on a moment's notice. Like these guys probably weren't anticipating to play at all this year. You talked to them back in January, but here they are. And they did enough for tech to come away with the victory chase prices and efficiency or not. It's an impressive, it's an impressive performance there by that group filling in at a moment's notice and an impressive coaching job by Jack Tyler and impressive job by Justin Fuente knowing the circumstances and preparing everyone to fill in at a bigger position if they had to, you know, all the credit in the world to the coaching staff through two weeks, these circumstances are just totally ridiculous. Like, yeah. And there's been a lot of uh, Miami's gotten off to a really good start and I, you can make the case for Manny Diaz and, you know, Dabo is going to have Clemson on, you know, undefeated or one loss or whatever it is at the end of the year. And you know, he's always a good candidate, but, uh, in my opinion, through two weeks of watching what Virginia Tech's had to go through, Justin Fuente is the early front runner for ACC Coach of the Year. In my in my opinion, given what this team's had to go through and how they've tried to navigate this and getting two wins considering the circumstances, uh, it's been an unbelievable coaching job by Fuente and the staff. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Mike, I don't follow the national scene as much as you do, but even nationally, like maybe save Notre Dame, is there any team that's had – more of the brunt of the burden of COVID than Virginia Tech? Notre Dame's the one. Um, <laughs> at least at the Power Five level, Notre Dame's the one uh, that, that's had a lot of issues. I mean, it seems like a lot of the other schools had their issues either before the season started or at the back end of fall camp. But it seems like Virginia Tech and Notre Dame have taken the brunt of it from a COVID standpoint in the first couple of weeks of the year. I, I sent you guys a text before the Duke game, if you guys remember, and I said, if Tech wins this game by by I think it was by two or more scores, then we need to we need to have a serious discussion for Fuente being ACC Coach of the Year. Now Tech didn't win by two scores, but it's still at least worthy talking about it. Um, it's a long season; we have no idea what's going to happen. But the the coaching job that Justin Fuente has done through these first two games has been absolutely phenomenal, and he's he's shut a lot of people up 
and you you, you gotta you gotta give him credit for it. He he's done a terrific job getting these guys to buy in, getting them to get their heads straight and to focus without with missing a fifth of their roster. Um, it, it's been it's been extremely impressive, and I'll admit it. I'm I'm shocked that Virginia Tech has looked as good as they've looked through two games, missing as many players as they've been missing. I mean, last year with the full roster and a full camp, you lose the opener to Boston College two years ago, full roster, full camp. You, you flop against ODU early in the season. And this year, given the circumstances, it's totally the opposite experience. And you're going into, you know, the real heart of this schedule undefeated and assuming you can get the roster back, you give yourself a chance because there's an alternative history here where Virginia Tech can't get it done shorthanded. They get back the full strength. They beat the teams that they need to beat, but those two losses early in the season come back to bite them in the ass at the end anyway. And at least, you know, at this point, that's not going to be what happened because that would be a tough pill to swallow if it did. So, so credit where it's due all around the players, the coaching staff, the support staff, the administrators, the people, overseeing the mess that is this COVID situation. And Justin Puente thanks them at the beginning of every press conference now. I mean, because they deserve it. But right back to the offensive side, guys, real quick. Just specifically, what would you like to see more of going into next week? What should be the focal point in practice for the Hokies? On offense? Yes. I want to see more play action involved in the passing game. Something that we saw a lot of last year once Hendon Hooker really got rolling, something we saw a lot of, obviously, with Gerard Evans, uh, something we saw Josh Jackson do a little bit of. But um, the play-action passing game has been extremely productive under the Justin Fuente regime since since Gerard Evans got here. Um, we saw Chris Cunningham catch a ton of touchdowns and not much else when he was in Blacksburg. Uh, we saw Dalton Keene make a huge, a huge game out of it. Um, getting, getting those guys involved, particularly the tight ends. I want to see James Mitchell involved in this. I want to see Nick Gallo involved in this. I want to see Virginia Tech take this running game and expand on it and use this running game to create shots downfield. Um, if they can do that, then this offense really has a super high ceiling but they have to get better quarterback play. And frankly, I think they have to open up the playbook a little bit. They've got to trust these guys. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Um, I think the play action passing game is a great point. We haven't seen a ton of that with any level of. At least, at least yeah. stuff more than just your standard RPO. Yeah. Cause I mean, we've seen, we've seen the play action off the RPO, but we haven't seen like uh, much else outside of that. And, and truthfully, we just haven't seen a ton of play action through two games. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the running game has been so good, but you think that you would see more play action because of that. I think it would have honestly helped Braxton Burmeister a lot. I wasn't totally thrilled with some of the passing plays that um, from a play calling standpoint in this game, I think the play action passing game would actually help Burmeister out a lot. Um, you know, something to, to play off of that running game. That's been so successful. I'd like to see more of Blackshear in the slot. That's something that, you know, yeah. That, that was mentioned a lot um, in the summer and fall camp and Justin Fuente talking about how he's going to kind of line up all over the field. And we haven't really seen that so far. And I think part of that is to your point, Ricky, the offense has been a, a bit vanilla with the play calling. Um, now look, it's been working. <laughs> Tech's gone over 300 yards rushing in two consecutive games, but it's not going to work that well forever as you face better defenses and shoot like North Carolina's rushing defense looks really good, but they've faced, you know, Syracuse and Boston College, two of the worst rushing offenses in the ACC so far. Especially so I don't know, Syracuse. especially Syracuse. So I don't know how, how much we need to glean from that, but UNC's defensive line is certainly better than Duke's, um, which was actually pretty decent. By I the way, I was about to say Duke's defensive line is not bad. I mean, Chris Rumpf is pretty good. Victor DiMuccage is good. Uh, Waters, who's kind of like more, I guess, like a hybrid guy for them yeah. off the edge. Yeah. They, they were actually kind of, kind of not bad especially when it came to the pass rush exactly so i mean i just want to see more of uh, just see more i don't know J just a more dynamic playbook i think would be and, good. and it may be a situation where if let's say braxton burmeister does start this game and he's now starting his third game and maybe brad cornelson feels more comfortable giving him more of the reins but um 
no matter who is the quarterback in this game, I think Tech does need to open it up a little bit and and take a few more shots and open up the playbook a little bit and trust these guys that they've been in the program long enough that they understand the concepts and that they can run them efficiently and take care of the football. Yep. Yeah, and you you hope that a lot of this limited stuff that you've seen has just been kind of a continuation of the circumstances that we've seen with COVID. You got two games under your belt. You got two full weeks of practice where you've been able to field a full team. You're not just running skeleton anymore. Hopefully in this all-important North Carolina game, they will be able to open up that playbook and we'll be able to see more concepts and more dynamism because though it has worked so far, I feel like you just can't, you can't rely on being a one-trick pony forever. And Tech won as a one-trick pony this week. And I'd also, you know, like to see probably just, you know, the mistakes on special teams. Like in a game where you already have so much going against you, that'll kill you. You have to cut that out. That's just the basics. And if Tech had, you know, lost the game, and even the fact that the game was close, you look back at that play early in the game and you just spotted Duke seven points. Like, and and you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. Anything else you guys want to touch on here? Um, I definitely enjoy watching the college games that have fans in the stands more so than stadiums without fans in the stands. It's amazing how much of a difference 15,000 fans can make for, oh. for, for a game and a broadcast. It's, it's night and day. I agree. I totally agree. I'll, I'll just add, you know, we could expect to be on ACC network a lot this year. They got to get their bleep together, man. I mean, the down and distance being screwed up, just complete and utter confusion. And, you know, okay. I'm usually, I'm usually watching the game with a decently, like, you know, not like a illegally COVID large group of people, but like, you know, 10 friends that I kind of stick around with most of the time here in Blacksburg. And the fact that every time this happens, the entire room erupts into confusion and no one knows what's going on. Like, because we can't be there, we are relying on you, the television broadcast crew to get it right. And I hope that that's something that I don't expect to see it this week because we're on ABC, we're on national television. They'll have the A team out there, no problem. But I mean, again, a week from this one, I think we got Boston College uh, on ACC Network. I'd, I'd like to see an improvement there for the television broadcast. Yeah, I, so I, I, and I, I understand saw, that. I saw a tweet out from like from someone who is involved in these broadcasts, and they were talking about how a lot of these groups are running on smaller crews, and some people aren't there. And I'm I'm sympathetic to that, but that broadcast was horrific. I mean, it, I'm like it was it was bad and. I'm sure it sounds like we're all whining, but man, the camera work was bad. The Chirons were bad. They misspelled Travis Etienne's name in a graphic. I mean, he's pro- he could be ACC Player of the Year. He could win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I mean, and you're going to misspell the guy's name on your own P5 network? I mean, it, it's it, it was really bad. It was really sloppy. Um, unfortunately, tech fans are very familiar with ESPN's problems when it comes to covering tech football and how many typos and errors that they make. Um, but you know, and, and also the, the commercials for, for the ACC network are <laughs> so bad, <laughs> real bad. If very, I see, very cheesy if stuff, I see like... one more tech product on my TV screen on, on a Saturday. I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> they've got attack everything. They've got, they've got tack sheets. They've got tack light. They've got tack lighter. Who knows what else they're going to come up with next, but Jesus, the, the tack brand needs to die. Okay. It just needs to go away, go on some other network and, and sell your stuff there. Cause it, it's ridiculous. Mike, you got anything? Uh, that about covers it on my, <laughs> on my side. Yeah. The, the commentary is bad. The commercials are real bad. And yeah. Part of the reason the commentary is bad because none of these guys are calling the game from the stadium, especially right. for all of these games. Like they're all calling the game from Bristol. Yeah. Not helping and that, that makes a difference. Like w- w- this happens all the time when we watch tech basketball, right? For all the non-conference stuff. A lot of times ESPN doesn't send anybody. 
and they don't they don't hook up IMG and let them do the broadcast. So you've got two guys who are a guy and a girl, whoever, who have never even heard of Virginia Tech, and they're calling a Virginia Tech men's basketball game from Bristol and ESPN three, and it's a mess, right? So I think that's part of the reason, but they've got to clean some of this stuff up for the network because it it, it comes nowhere close to the SEC network and their production value. I got to agree. I got to agree. You got to make a compelling case if you're not going to be on Comcast for people to switch over. And that's, uh, <laughs> I, I, unfortunately. I that, never would have thought that the ACC network would make me miss Raycon television or Raycom. <laughs> like, uh. All right, folks. Well, that's enough ranting and raving for us. As always, the Hokie Hangover podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, donates to the Hokie Club, actually cares about Virginia Tech Athletics, go to Main Street Pharmacy on South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. My good friend, Dr. Jeremy Counts, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. I am Andrew Alex. They are Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue, and we thank you for listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast. Guys, what can the folks do at home to make this podcast happy? What, what can they do to put a smile on our beautiful faces? Share it. Share it with your friends. It's not that hard. Go listen to it. Put it on Twitter. Put it on Facebook. Talk to your friend about it at the local coffee shop if you're allowed to go, depending on where you live. Uh, leave a review. Five stars, please. If you're not going to leave five stars, then what are you doing? Um, drink responsibly. Unlike, unlike our friend Chase earlier. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Uh, And also too, if you want to see some koozies, hit us up, man. Cause I think that that's something we want to, we want to do. There there was, there was actually a lot of good feedback from that earlier. Yeah. I think we're going to be investing some of this good, good main street pharmacy money right back into the pod. We'll get some stuff for the people. We'll give some stuff away. If you could prove to us that you're uh, helping the cause fighting the good fight for us. I think that's something we can make happen. Yep, for sure. Also, if you have any more random craft beers that Mike hasn't already shared on his Twitter yet, please tweet them at Mike so he can level up on Untapped and and show us how much of an alcoholic he is. Doesn't matter what time of day because the man doesn't sleep and he's always down for a drink. That's correct. And we're going to end up – it's going to be like – we're going to be like Too Deep VT 2.0. it's going to be like another two deep podcast if we end up with uh, all these beer reviews. So maybe yeah. I'll start sampling like fancy red wine, like I'm LeBron James or something while we do this. Yeah, absolutely know. not. We're not doing fancy red wine on a <laughs> for the king, the king of vino, Andrew. <laughs> all right, folks, like, rate, subscribe, share, do what you got to do. We'll be back with an episode like probably tomorrow or the next day. We'll give you all the preview that you need for UNC. We're looking forward to this, man. This has been a long week. So thanks for listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast. We'll see you soon and go home. Hokie-